0: Welcome everybody to uh, this week's edition of uh, Legal Tech Week for uh, October 9th, 2020. This is Bob Ambrosi, I am the uh, author of the blog Law Sites and the uh, host of the podcast Law Next. I have to stop and think for a minute, who I? Who am I uh, and what do I do? Uh, and. Uh, this is our weekly roundtable uh, of Legal Tech Journalists talking about the top stories of the week. We, are, we have a special guest this week who we'll get to in just a moment, but first, let's uh, go around and introduce this week's panelists. Uh, Caroline Hill, welcome back. You've been gone for a while.
1: Thank you. Yes, I'm very errant. Um, thank you, Caroline Hill, Editor-in-Chief of Legal IT Insider, based in the UK, but our, global, our audience is global. Um, And yeah, I've been running around having an actual Friday evening for the last couple of weeks. It's nice to be back though.
0: (laughs) Well, we're glad you can shelter in place and have your Friday evening with us. uh, Thank
2: you. Nice to
0: be here. uh, In Victoria.
2: Hey, everyone. My name is Victoria Hutchins. I'm a reporter with Legal Tech News, where I cover law, technology, and the intersection of law and technology. Um, You may have also seen my byline on law.com, the American Lawyer, Corporate Counsel, and um, other ALM publications.
3: We've seen it everywhere.
4: Definitely. Victor.
3: Hi, everyone. My name is Victor Lee. I'm an assistant managing editor with the ABA Journal. I handle the business of law section, which uh, also uh, looks a lot of technology. Uh, My standard disclaimer is I don't speak for myself. Actually, that's not my standard disclaimer. My disclaimer is I do not speak for the ABA or for the ABA Journal. And some days I don't even speak for myself. And if a fly lands on my head during the middle of this, I do not speak for the fly either.
0: But so you have to have this color hair to make it, the fly stand out. Nobody would notice if a fly landed on your head. So.
3: Yeah, so it would it, be on my face or something. But you know, yeah. I, I would hope that I would I would notice it at that point.
4: But yeah, uh, Joe. Yeah, uh, Joe Patrice from Above the Law and the podcast Thinking Like a Lawyer. I suppose um, just happy to have made it through yet another one of these weeks. Um, that's about all. I got. I, I really have nothing. Uh, particularly eventful to talk about it's 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 kind of sad
0: uh okay (laughs) and uh molly how about you
5: hi i'm molly mcdonough i'm a legal affairs journalist and consultant based in the chicago area and happy to be here
0: and uh for those of you watching on the zoom webinar uh go ahead and uh, engage with us in the chat if you have questions or comments or whatever uh please uh, let us know and uh very happy to introduce our special guest today, Nicole Braddock. Hi, Nicole.
6: Hi. Thanks uh, for having me.
0: Yeah, thanks for, thanks for doing this, especially on fairly short notice. Um, so I'm Nicole, always why here don't you... for you, Bob. <laughs> uh, it was Molly's idea.
6: I'm always here for Molly when she's at a loss of what to do. So she says, oh, let's, let's pick up Nicole.
0: <laughs> That's kind of how it went down. No, it's, it's not at all. <laughs>
6: It's cool. Um, Molly, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: so, uh, Nicole, why don't you start by just telling people who you are and what you do?
6: Sure. Uh, I'm Nicole Braddock. Joe, why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> You're giving me a weird look, Joe. <laughs> My name is Nicole Braddock. I'm the CEO of a company called Theory and Principle. We are a software design and development firm that works just in legal space. So we work with clients across the legal industry to build custom digital products.
0: Uh, Good. And uh, so uh, you do lots of stuff. But but the reason uh, we thought it would be good to have you on here today is that you've actually got a couple of announcements this week. But but one is uh, you rolled out, I guess, actually, last week, you rolled out this really cool new website that's highly relevant to what's going on in the world right now. Uh, So why don't you tell us about it?
2: Yeah,
6: sure. So we worked with an amazing voting rights organization called Spread the Vote. Um, typically, Spread the Vote is focused on getting people identification during normal voting times, uh, but they pivoted a little here due to you know this, this situation that we're we're facing, and so um, they recognize the fact that. I think in the primaries, about 500,000 more than 500,000 mail-in ballots were thrown out because people just didn't read the directions. They didn't. They didn't sign in the right place. They didn't put one stupid envelope in another stupid envelope. They didn't do all of the big hurdles and things that uh, that they're required to do, and that are different and that are constantly changing. Um, so, and they we also the data showed that young young voters were five times more likely to have their ballots thrown out. So this product, uh, it's at, called "Read the Effing Directions," uh, and the URL is read um, The product is designed. And it's to, effing, not. It's f. Read the fing directions <laughs> is actually yeah. the the domain. <laughs> read the fing directions. Um, yeah, we actually had issues with that because one of our developers put effing e f f.
0: <laughs> no, it's just
6: just a thing. Um, so uh, that it's designed to give you like state by state a sense of what uh, what you need to do, and we're keeping it up to date every day as new Supreme Court rulings are coming out, as new new rules are being erected and put in people's way all, every dang day. Um, and so the the goal of the product was to make it like super shareable. So you know we're hoping people will. Share it on social media, make sure all their friends, if you are in a state on the app, if you go to like Maine, which is where I am, uh, you can text it to your friends, you can do it on Twitter, and it'll take. It'll say, tell your Maine friends not to F this up, and then it'll send people directly to the main portion. Um, so... There's some really cool videos on there too that I would highly recommend you check out. Um, on the landing screen, there is a animation that some volunteer uh, animators uh, put together that's awesome with music written by Bela Fleck. For those of you who are bluegrass fans, uh, he wrote it go. and donated it just for this. just for this. And then if you click into a state, you'll see a video by a bunch of uh, great comedians where if you are into like late night comedy, you'll recognize a ton of them. So
1: so have you you've graded the states by difficulty and ease is that right so so yeah. so alabama effing pretty effing pretty difficult, effing difficult <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> but if you're voting in alaska it's easy peasy yeah yeah so and
6: then just there's some, just there's, wrap
0: your ballot in a salmon and send it in from there
6: <laughs> and then there's a, there's an interim level too i forget what we call that but um yeah uh, alabama like who's surprised alabama is pretty effing difficult
1: <laughs> I like your um list of instructions. So, so, so sign the sign the envelope. If you're a loner type, you can sign it. Sign it in front of a notary.
6: <laughs> yeah. So all the content came from Spread the Vote, and they did it. They okay. did an awesome job. It's it's very good content. Put a stamp on it. I like that. It's important. Yeah. <laughs>
1: You could put a link to, did you see Barack Obama did a, a similar sort of, this is how you vote. Like, oh, there's a lot of focus on this. You should put a yeah. link to that video. I thought that was brilliant.
6: Yeah, that was good. And then just recently, a bunch of comedians uh, like Sarah Silverman, and I forget who else was on there. They did a thing where they were all naked and were talking about the naked o- the naked envelope, which is the stupid envelope that needs to go in the stupid envelope. Uh, that was pretty funny too.
0: I saw that. So it did is a, you, It's did a you major have a- problem. A- did you guys have a lot of conversation about the name?
6: Uh, so we, on our team, we immediately found the URL don'tfuckupyourballot.com, uh, but spread the vote, had read the effing directions, and uh, they were ready to go with it. So no, there was not discussion. <laughs> <laughs> I, like it. I like
1: it a lot. Any opportunity to use the F word? <laughs>
6: I saw Adriana, Adriana Linares is on the chat. She always gets upset when I curse, so I won't, I won't curse Adriana.
5: (laughs) Adriana does?
6: Yeah, she gets really upset when I curse or when I have any sort of potty mouth. (laughs) 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 We had a meeting, we had a meeting once, like, I forget what it was. And we we came out of the meeting and she was like, I can't believe you made it that whole meeting without saying a curse word. I was like, I am capable of this. My only disappointment, I didn't get to write
1: it
5: in Phil. I just
4: had to write in Yeah, Um, so so for the conference attendees,
5: um, Adriana has already uh, weighed in with Nicole has the worst potty mouth in legal. So yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take it.
0: So uh, any any other questions or comments or thoughts about this?
3: Yeah, I had a question for you, Nicole. So just uh, while you were looking at all the various states and whatnot. And what the regulations were, and what were some things? I mean, what are some things that just that you were able to extrapolate, and you know, from from just from just every state or, or most of the states? And just what are some things that voters should just should just be careful should just be careful of when they're filling out their ballot?
6: Yeah, certainly, signatures. Location of signatures is really important. Um, so, uh, there are places where you have to sign outside the envelope, and if you don't, they're thrown it right away. Uh, so, location of sig- signatures is really important. The <laughs> The witness requirement. A lot of states have a witness requirement, which uh, can be a notary, which in a pandemic is absolutely ridiculous. Um, so, so that I would pay attention to. Um, and we've also seen a lot of issues right now. I think it's also kind of been in the news too. I, I think Victoria, especially in Philadelphia, there's been an issue of the um, the ballots in ballots, the double ballot. People, yeah. keep mess, people mess up the double ballot a lot. So those seem to be the biggest sticky issues for sure.
2: And Nicole, I was wondering like how did, what was the process like of um, putting together the data and letting people know, especially as like the courts are kind of making these decisions, how to like keep that updated. What was that process like?
6: So um, spread the vote, put the data together. So that was all, all the content was there work and we're sort of keeping in communication every day. Every time there's like this morning, I. I Heard about the Supreme Court decision in Wisconsin, so I wrote them and said, "Do we need to do anything?" And you know, we're we're sort of keeping day to day in contact to determine if we need to update anything on the site. Um, you know, we last thing we want to do is give somebody the wrong information. How, how did you get involved,
0: and how long did it take you to do it?
6: So this was actually a super fast project for us. I met Cat Calvin, the C, the executive director and founder of Spread Their Vote, at like the very end of August. And so I think our team built it in like three weeks or something like that. It was pretty speedy.
0: <laughs> that's fantastic. That's great.
5: That, that's pretty impressive. I'm curious about you, you have a lot of kind of high profile elements to this, uh, you know, what's been the traction. One of the things that I, I said to you earlier before this call is that I sent this to my son after, um, Nicole posted, it was a few hours later and he was like, Oh, I already got that from my friends. I'm like, really? That's wow. amazing. Awesome. That's cool. That's, That's so,
6: so cool. cool. Yeah, I think I mean it's one of the things I think Spread the Vote does a lot is they leverage a lot of celebrities to to spread the news. So like some of um oh shoot, what's his name? James Gaffigan tweeted about it, Jim Gaffigan and like uh so they definitely are leveraging a lot of high profile people to to share it. So it's definitely getting the videos especially are, are moving around a lot on social media and the traffic has been has been really good. Uh so Hopefully it's helpful. We we set out, we said in the beginning as a team, you know, if we can make a hundred people have their vote actually count, we would have, we, you know, we'd feel good about the job we did here. So I think we're, we're certainly going to hopefully hit that.
1: There's obviously a lot, a lot um, from Trump about trying to discourage, it seems, um, obviously I'm a bit of, <clears throat> excuse my dog, I'm a bit of an outsider, but has that, have you seen, are you are you, are you sort of in touch with
6: the impact that that's having? Not really. Um, mm-hmm. Not personally. I, also, I mean, fr- from a personal level, I just did a, a training to be an observer here in Maine, a poll observer, and there is a lot of concern about intimidation and, mm-hmm. and sort of making sure that you're on top of that and reporting reporting the right things to the right people. So uh, so not related to that product, but related like personally, it, people do seem to be quite concerned. Yeah. Oh well, well so, done. It looks fab. It's very
1: clean. It's sort of very simple. It looks yeah.
6: That's our it's our jam. That's what we do.
5: <laughs> Have you done this before? <laughs> <laughs> well so so you're going straight from this to to a civic legal tech uh, co- collaboration or a conference that you're pulling together is that is this something you are doing or leading? Um, can you talk a little bit about what you're doing and what you're seeing in this space? I mean, I've talked to you in the past about you know your efforts and and a lot of what we've talked about is that adoption is partly so low at least. Um, in your, from your perspective, because design um, is so is not user-friendly, which is where, you know, you guys come in and really make things easy to use. And this, I can say, is very easy to use. It's fun to use, mm-hmm. uh, which makes a difference too.
6: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's always our goal, is to make really crappy things enjoyable. <laughs> um yes. So yeah, we, um, we're actually trying to solve for a slightly different problem with the conference we're having. So on October 21st, we are hosting uh, sort of an online gathering. I'm not calling it a conference because it's not. Um, but the goal is, so right now there are a number of groups who are focused on using technology and design to improve justice systems, um, but those groups don't talk. For example, um, you know w- w- the justice, the, the sort of legal tech world, I think we all kind of, there are conferences, we all go to those conferences, we know each other, um, but then there's a the whole civic tech universe like Code for America and you know, US Digital Services, um, a universe of really good uh, uh, designers and developers who are working on solving government tech problems. And so often, our problems are overlapping. Like Code for America has a big record clearing project going on right now. And like a hundred people in legal tech are building record clearing type products. So the goal is to bring those communities together. And uh, you know, there's gonna be, I'm gonna do a really short overview for the civic tech people on like, here's what's happening in legal tech. This is the kind of things we're solving. This is kind of how we're solving it. And then Sid Harrell, who is an amazing designer who's been in civic tech her whole life, I, not her whole life. She was not a civic tech when she was a baby. Um, but she's she's literally written the book on, on civic technology. Um, she will do a, a thing on GovTech. And we're also currently working on getting uh, somebody to talk about how tech is being used to support rule of law and justice systems in the developing world, too. Because, again, I think there's probably a lot of overlap. And so it'll be a couple of tiny talks. And then we're using this platform called Remo, which, like, there are all these virtual tables and you just kind of, they'll have different topics. Like one will be juvenile justice. One will be, you know, evictions. And you can pop into those tables and meet new people and talk to new people. So it's really just trying to like create this cross pollination so that we're not duplicating efforts among the communities, so that we're not, um, uh, you know, so, so people are talking and learning from each other. And you know, we had space for 200 people after 24 hours of announcing it, we are half full and the best part is that like I only know personally like 15 20 percent of the people who are, who are listed, which makes me very happy. It means that you know we're being successful in getting bringing new people in and, and getting new people to talk
4: but of course uh, I obviously uh- Nikki's not here, so I'll take—I'll do the question for her, but do you have avatars when you're in these conversations? That's
1: exactly what went into my mind, exactly. Nikki, no. Nicole, you, you will not appreciate the significance But that, Joe, that is exactly, the first thing I thought was, do you have, I mean, this is, you don't know how important this question is, do you have avatars?
6: I, it's, I don't <laughs> think I fully appreciate the importance, but no, when you go into the table, its you go into a video conference with six people, up to six people, so it's all it's all video, sorry. You do have, like, a little, like, bubble with your face on it, so if when people are poking around and seeing who's in each table, they can see the bubble. Um, so
1: Nikki Black, who's normally on the panel with us, has got this mini obsession <laughs> with <laughs> developing a conference, with using a platform with avatars. She particularly really has this sort of lovely fascination about avatars. So we, we've talked quite a lot. <laughs>
6: Yeah, I mean, I, I op- uploaded my profile photo, which is uh, one a friend made of me, that's my head with, do you remember the laser beam background from when you were a kid and getting your school pictures? I have the laser beam background beside me, which I really enjoy. Nice, mm-hmm. nice.
0: I don't think they had cameras when I was a kid.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I you found were my- getting your, your school daguerreotypes or <laughs>
6: <laughs> oh, I love Bob's so old jokes.
0: <laughs>
6: Big fun. Uh,
0: great. Um, what else? Any uh, any other questions or comments or thoughts about it?
6: We have three other products rolling out this month, so we're quite busy. What are they? Well, you'll have to wait and find out.
0: All right. We will, I am um, just so Nicole here. just, just, just for the benefit
6: here. actually for the benefit of the
1: group. So we talked about GPT three a while back. And actually mm-hmm. Nicole was the one of the only people that when I first started writing about it that was actually playing around with it, just FYR. It was so it was when it was kind of a bit lucky because I just reached out to you saying, Do you know anything about GPT three? you're like, Yeah, I'm actually like using it, trialing it <laughs> And actually it's quite limited. <laughs>
6: Yeah, we we got into the into the early um, testing group. Um, But to be honest, since that sort of big hubbub at that time, when you and I had the conversation, everyone was talking about it, we haven't even looked back at it again. (laughs) Like, they're just I think, like I told you, there's, I think there's a lot, it's obviously very powerful. And there's a lot of potential. But for the work that we're doing, um, we just, it may be at some point, we'll have a project that really lines up with what it's good at. But we don't
1: have anything like right now. Did you see it's been licensed exclusively by Microsoft? So, so the so open AI is not so open because it's exclusively licensed. I didn't
6: Microsoft. see that. It's yeah. interesting. Yeah,
1: so I, it could I, be really. Sorry, Bob.
0: I'm sorry. You go ahead.
1: Um, it could be really good for the legal profession, actually, because bearing in mind how much we love Microsoft and use Microsoft, it'd be interesting to see how they what they do with that. But and obviously, Microsoft was one of the big. They invested a billion. They were, you know, from the very mm-hmm. outset, they were one of the big players. But mm-hmm. um, it kind of goes in the face of this idea that it was open, but <laughs> for the for the benefit of humanity, um, they're still going to have. It's it's not quite clear. They still say they've got they, that you're going to be able to take advantage of open open APIs, etc. But it's an exclusive license with Microsoft, so the whole thing doesn't really make sense just yet. But mm. um, but yeah, anyway, that's what it is. So it could be quite yeah. beneficial for the for lawyers, I think
5: ultimately.
0: I just want I to point out to Nick that I, in fact, did have my Habibi shirt on yesterday. So if you watch this week's, this week in legal blogging, you will see that I had my shirt on. Yes. Or couldn't oh I wear my it God. Today. And we're all waiting for Nicole to get the shirt site back up because as i've told her i have i have people in my community stopping me saying where can i get one of those shirts i want one of those shirts
6: the lebanese community of gloucester is the, the, banging the down his door i've I,
0: I have made friends with all three lebanese people in gloucester <laughs> <laughs> and they're yeah. knocking at my door on a regular basis saying when can i get my t-shirt no Every- apparently there's actually a, a, there's a bit of uh, there's a few lebanese people here in gloucester they want shirts. They're
6: everywhere. We're everywhere, um, and they want shirts. Yeah, I, that that was amazing. I have to say, like this community, really, I was overwhelmed by everybody's support of that fundraiser. Yes. Um, I was. It was not what I was expecting.
0: Yep. All right. We're going to move on to talk about some of the other uh, stories from the week, and okay. uh, you are welcome to stay here or welcome to leave and go. Do all these uh, all this important work you do? And oh, I don't do that. any
6: of it. I, <laughs> <laughs> my team is well, great.
0: <laughs> no, it's it, it really is great this. that you did that. It really is. It's a great it's a great thing. And uh, congratulations to you and your company and everybody involved.
6: Thanks so much, and we hope people will join us for the the event in a couple of weeks. Uh, it's completely free, of course. So, um, I think the links in the chat. I'll post. Yeah, have you posted the link to it yep. in the chat already? Yeah, it's all yeah. oh, well done.
1: Yep. Brilliant. All
6: right. Thanks guys. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Talk later. Bye. bye. All right.
0: right, uh, Moving on to other topics. Um, It it did just kind of remind me of uh, the, uh, her her talking about the event reminded me that last week we were kind of talking about, or one of the things I, we were talking about, all the virtual conferences. And I was mentioning a sort of concept of the pop-up conference, uh, Caroline Elephant, uh, Gina Belial have recently done their lawyer, mom owner summit. Uh, Nicole is now doing this, but at the same time the the flood of, of other conferences goes on unabated. It's just, I mean, this week there was net documents had its elevate conference, um, the today and, and yesterday was the College of Law Practice Management uh, does their annual conference, which I just couldn't even register for because I just didn't have time to get to any of that. Uh, next week is the CLIO conference. The Law Legal Geeks conference is coming up, what, next week or the week after? Uh, a constant flood of conferences I, I, did, I, I did write about the Clio one. They gave me a preview of their platform. And I, I will say I was really impressed with it. It's not something they developed. It's an off-the-shelf platform. But um, what's, what I really liked about it, it was the first one I've seen so far that really kind of puts the emphasis on the attendee almost on an equal footing with the, with the speakers. I mean, each, like I wrote about it, each attendee kind of gets their own profile page and you can add a little video greeting And from your profile page, you can go in and, you know, text and and message people, other people, attendees, and you can set up, very easily kind of set up these little pop-up discussion rooms. You can either schedule them or just spontaneously create these little discussion rooms and you can either invite people to them or you can open them up by interest. When When you register for the conference, you sort of pick some interests that you're, Things you're interested in in following during the conference, or you can change that during the conference. But it's a, it's a, you know, the the challenge of all these conferences keeps being how to, how to remain, how to get the users engaged in the way they would be at a live conference. And going to be interested to see how this works out next week. Uh, I'm looking forward to that.
1: I don't think I don't think they are still there's a lot of effort going in but i think that they just aren't getting engagement and actually a lot of vendors i speak to are just not getting much out of the i hate to be negative about it but you know the fact is that you know i know people are trying really hard and you know and it's 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 not it's not criticism it's very difficult but i I still feel that for the vendors it's just not you know they're just a lot of so one um, conference, I was speaking to a vendor who would normally be there in force and didn't, didn't log on, you know, like just I don't know. I think that it's a big challenge. Uh, that one, that, that platform that you're talking about sounds really interesting, Bob.
2: Um, yeah, and at Legal we'll Geek, actually, the so
1: Legal Geek, Legal Geek is next week, um, which is such a shame that it's vir- had to go virtual because obviously, normally, there's thousands of people in London for that. Um, and it's the and although the content is great, you know, the, a lot of it is really, I mean, it's really about the networking, you just can't replicate it. but um, and he so jimmy vesterberg has has made it free um to register just for the content um and also you can do some of the social networking stuff that's it's tuesday wednesday next week um and then it's just 60 pounds if you want to then that the extra just gives you um means that you can ha- access the content after the event. So the, the kind of free packages it's all just live and you know you can catch whatever you catch but what was quite interesting um when you register there's an option to click on, um, the, some of the key sponsors. Um, I think they're just sponsors, but anyway, you can click not just, uh, yeah. So but I think there must be sponsors, but people, people, uh, places like Barclays Eagle labs and also you can click on who you want to, to your details to be shared with There's a kind of, you know, introductory. And, and, and I know most of them are still click them all obviously. <laughs> um, but there's sort of little touches like that. I thought that was pretty good, you know, trying to connect people, um, and and I know, obviously, a lot of them are trying to make these spaces. But I don't know if anybody else thinks I'm being particularly pessimistic. But I I just I'm struggling well, I'm struggling with them.
5: So I mean, there's a there's a difference too between you know, some of these larger conferences with a lot of vendors and and um, and and Clio Cloud, which is, you know, a user, mostly a user conference, but they do have a lot of partners that they're promoting too. So I, you know, I think the expectations are really high for Clio to see, you know, how they change this game. Um, To Bob's earlier point, the flood is overwhelming. Uh, And now that there's no excuse not to go, you know, how choosy are you supposed to be? I mean, um, legal week year, now seems completely overwhelming for me, um, even though I, I am excited that, you know, the cost barriers are down and, you know, there are lots of opportunities to connect, you know, it, it's going to be, I'm going to have to see some good justifications now for taking time to, to devote to a lot of these conferences. I mean I, I mean, some people go to these all the time. They're just on a conference circuit. But now that they're all year, all the time. Yeah. How are we supposed to pick?
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, and some of us do still have, you know, like, you know, day jobs <laughs> and things to do during the day. It's like, it gets, it gets overwhelming. I mean, the Clio is doing their conference every day for like a five hour span, starts at 11 East Coast time, I think, um, with the idea that give people mornings or, or some time during the day to get other stuff done. But, but at the same time, they're stretching it out over four days, as opposed to the typical two days for that conference um so you know if you really want to attend that that's pretty much eating up most of the week next week um and that's yeah, and Tech Show's doing
3: something similar where it's like you know they're going to start later in the day to accommodate the west coast folks uh, people you know from other places from you know not the east coast or central and then it's a bit but you know they're going to have more days so yeah that's the other thing it's kind of you know you know how can you go to all these conferences now where there's going to be so much you know yeah you know, like it eats up like four or five days at a time instead of just two. And you know, there's one after another, and then it's just very easy to just get overwhelmed, or just be like, all right, well, you know what, I'm just not gonna go to any of them because it's it's just gonna be too much, and there's no way I'm gonna be able to, to 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 absorb everything. There's no way I'm gonna be able to pay attention all the time. So I'll just you know read about it afterward, and then whatever whatever I take from it, I take from it. But I think with Clio, it's especially it's gonna be especially difficult for them because they've their conference has relied so heavily on on, you know, people being there and having fun. And I mean, you know, that was always, that was always a part of the best party conference. I mean, you know, right. <laughs> yeah, they have a hangover table every year. So at least they don't have to, they don't have to do that. They're not going to have to go to Costco and buy, load up on, load up on breath mints and five hour, five hour energy drinks yeah. and whatnot. Um, yeah. So at least they can save some money that way, I guess. But, but yeah, it'll be interesting because they've relied so heavily on that social aspect, like, like that conference, especially considering uh, compared to other ones. And so it'll be interesting to see if they can still kind of, repl- I mean, they're not going to be able to replicate that, obviously, but if the, like what they're going to do to try to, to, try to compensate for that.
4: Yeah. yeah. They, you know? I think they already sent me a crate of Alka-Seltzer. I, so they're, they're trying to you know, <laughs> make the experience the same.
0: They're, yeah. they're going to have a, a virtual uh, DJ party with yeah. Quest Love. I mean, you can see all these lawyers uh, watching virtually in front of Zoom, up dancing, I don't know.
5: <laughs> oh, there, there's well, going to be... Do you have a, you know, an, drinking bingo game? You know, what it, what it, what are your drinking games for for these virtual conferences? You know, there's no bar now for, you know, opening the bar during the conference.
4: Yeah, sort of. there, like the there really wasn't Not that before. I'm
5: advocating for that.
4: <laughs> there wasn't a bar on that before. Uh, yeah, no, but they the, <laughs> the DJ, they've got uh, Iron Chef coming. It's going to be. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a thing.
2: I do kind of wonder if we'll get into like conference fatigue because now because we don't have in-person conferences, I think the spacing and the scheduling of them have changed, and now they're like in the same week or just the week after, and it's kind of mm. putting a little bit of pressure of like, do I will I participate? Especially when the networking still isn't there, and no one's been able to replicate that type of networking from going from going from in-person to um, virtual. So it's kind of interesting to see. Like I see a lot more them uh, these conferences being scheduled close to together I'm thinking like is that like fatigue where you're just like I'm clicking into another zoom video or whatever platform that they have. And it's just kind of like, it might end up that you maybe get less traction like Caroline was saying about the vendors, I could see that becoming a thing and kind of like what's separating us from at the end of the day, you're just looking at your screen. Yeah. yeah. Does
5: anyone know, oh, if, I, I know of one vendor. Sorry no, no, I was just well, I was just going to say the the same thing though Caroline, about that I'm hearing a ton from the vendors about how they're they're not Uh, getting the traction, they're not, people aren't coming to the special rooms, they're not getting the leads they were able to get before. Um, In person was much easier to get a legit lead that you could evaluate the person than, you know, just an email address. Um, And so I I, I do think that's going to be a big issue. I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing to rethink why we have conferences and what they're for Mm. um, and (laughs) what we get out of them. I mean, I, you know, practical skills or introduction to um, a vendor community those are two very different things and a lot of conferences try to do all at once
1: yeah
5: does anyone know of any
1: vendors that have not gone ahead with I know of one vendor that's not gone ahead with a conference because they know that it's not going to be what they want it to be I wonder I wonder if people will just carry on you know regardless and we're just going to have this onslaught, as you said, or else if eventually people will just go, do you know what, until we can do it in person, actually we've decided it's not worth it. It'd be interesting to see whether that happens more.
0: I haven't heard of that, but I've heard of vendors saying, I've heard of vendors participating in conferences and then saying after the fact, unless something changes, I'm not back, you know, the next time you do it, if you have to do it this way again.
1: Yeah. Um, there's someone um, in the comments yeah. someone in the comments so it might be worth reading the chat sorry so someone said I spoke. oh that's Molly. <laughs>
0: that. that. Who is this Molly
3: person
1: <laughs> who keeps coming so, so Dan <laughs> hi Dan we passed on to this year um yeah i mean this. I, I, we, Bob and, yeah. Bob and I, did three hours of live presenting at ILTA, which was pretty challenging, but that kept me in touch with the
5: content for sure. I'm sure it did you too. Well, that too, um,
0: I mean, but then, yeah, yeah.
5: yeah, and I can't say who, but I've definitely heard from from vendors who are taking passes, um, yeah. but a lot of others are are in for this first round just to see what what happens it, with new technologies. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Nick, thanks. So it's so, very similar
1: to app fatigue: too many apps, too many conferences. Um, yep. Yeah, I think I, I know. I've spoken to quite a lot of people that just don't log, don't just don't just don't log on anymore. So, um, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, um, all right. Well, let's uh, let's move on to a couple more couple more stories. I we I think we all agreed that it was, it was not like a killer week for news uh, <laughs> happening, or if it was, they they didn't tell us about it.
4: Um, not in our <laughs> segment. It was a pretty big week for news generally
0: why well, is there something we, going on in the world i don't know
4: yeah exactly yeah <laughs> our niche didn't quite get as much attention
0: that's true uh yeah um but uh uh victoria you 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 were going to talk about a, a a story that you didn't write but that was on law.com uh, about a study involving uh law firms and sort of alsps right
2: yeah, definitely. Um, my colleague, Dan Packel at the American Lawyer, he wrote about a um, report that um, Barrett's and Brunel released earlier this week about law firms captive alternative legal service providers, pretty much a alternative legal service provider as like a subsidiary of a law firm. Um, and they found like 47 And they said for the most part, like these ALSPs, they provide like e-discovery work, which is really kind of like the most common type of work that you find with like ALSPs. Well, the first um, uh, market that they go into for ALSPs, because it's usually like high volume, a little bit like low risk, and most corporate legal departments, they'll turn to you for that type of services. But um, Barris and Brunel found that more... um, Global law firms are also venturing into more like sophisticated type of work with their ALSPs. And that includes like contract review, um, lease abstraction and M&A due diligence work. And they were saying why you, why you see that more often in global firms because outside of the US, um, the alternative business service licenses and the big four, they put more pressure on law firms when they're international. Um, They put more pressure on like uh, they could possibly take some uh, corporate legal work from them. So Barris and Brunel think we'll start to see that in the United States and The um, report kind of reminded me of an article that I wrote back in August. Where I spoke to um, law firms captive ALSPs and it was interesting they talked about sometimes they they are more expensive um, compared to like your common ALSPs that aren't affiliated with a law firm but they said most um, corporate legal departments they're okay with that higher price because they come affiliated with a law firm and if anything they could take like their legal matter um, that um, to a law firm that has a captive ALSP so they can do the large-scale document review and provide the legal expertise so I could see it becoming something more. There's some law, say like, "Hey, we're going to take the initiative, and we're really going to say, like, we're going to provide more services and not lose out some work to ALSPs." So I think it's an emerging market, and um, ALM we're definitely covering it a lot.
5: Yeah, I think that's interesting because the one of the things that um, I'm, I'm fully appreciating now is is the a number of services a firm or a company is signing up for. So the fewer Um, integrations they have to do and trainings, so I can see the attraction to having kind of a one-stop shop um, for for some of these as long as you're seeing efficiencies and lower costs some way
1: yeah we did we did a webinar this week um which I seem to spend my life doing right now Um, but it was (laughs) it was great actually so we did it um with with Gravity Stack Reed Smith's um uh, ALSP um and um we did it with a company called Lionbridge, which does machine translation and they 've created a new app um, where they do, they do to create precisely as to what you were saying, Molly, about completely integrated um, service either with contract ai for contracts or they 've created a relative machine i forget what they call it relativity machine translation or something like that this app and they and then so they and what they with what the the interesting point that they made is so they 've got the contract they 've got the, the the routine the automated um, and then they've also got the Reed Smith that they bring in the lawyers in as well. Right. So oh, actually, sorry, Victoria, that was you saying that. So they've got, they sort of cre- creating this holistic um, partnership, which is an, as an integrated offering, which is obviously saves time. There's, a, there's an inbuilt workflow element of it where you can see exactly where stuff is. It was pretty cool.
0: Wait, was this, are the captive ALSPs that were being talked about in this article or in the survey rather, um, Ones in which the firm is, is then actually selling those services to other firms uh, so that if they have, say, an, an e-discovery review in-house department, are they, con- are they selling those review services to other law firms or is it just for the, the lawyers in, and the legal professionals in that firm?
2: Oh, from the, um, I didn't get a chance to read the survey, but from the article, they they didn't mention about if it's just like um, services that law firms could also sell to other law firms. But when I wrote my article in August about like law firms captive ALSPs, they did say that they do have, um, they sometimes do work with law firms. Um, It's not common. Usually like their client is a a corporate legal department, but um, one uh, law firm, I think it was, it was uh, Troutman Pepper Hamilton Sanders. They said like they've had like, like a small law firm, reach out to them that said, like, hey, we have this um, legal matter. It involves a lot of document review, um, large scale. Um, could we turn to you guys for help for reviewing those documents for our clients? So I think law firms are probably open for that. Of course, you have to, I guess, check for like any client com- conflicts. But I don't think law firms are against like working with um, other law firms and providing those services. Yeah, you know, you know, that, was that was something that was Go ahead. No, no,
5: Dan, Dan did mention something about how that, that was just, um, it's not very well known outside of the lawyers from that firm. Yeah. Um, it, but yeah. I, I, I do think, and Bob, you and I've had these conversations about the marketplace and, you know, how this is expanding and how this is being documented and cataloged. Um, it's that, that infrastructure is not there yet.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There was, um, um, you know, a couple of years ago, it, uh, there were a lot, so this happened with, with law firms that were doing e-discovery. Several, several law firms that were sort of really specializing in doing e-discovery would start to build out their own kind of review team in-house. Uh, and then at some point would spin, the, a couple of law firms did this. They would spin it off into a separate entity and then offer those same review services to other law firms. Uh, and there were a couple of firms that had some, I think, modest success with doing that. I don't, I don't know the current state of those i haven't looked at that in a while but that so, was so a the, thing a couple of years ago
1: the issue is with the cost isn't it? i think we might have talked about this before so what fascinates me is how well herbert smith freehills has done in terms of having for such a long time having their own internal they call it alt and having their own like alsp very much within the body of the firm and i think that my understanding is that why that works is that they have been able to ring fence it from a cost perspective because i think the trouble is that often if you have um tried to do alternative stuff within the firm that actually you get (laughs) you get forced to go down the same fee model and 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 that doesn't work because obviously it's supposed to be lower cost so um so i think the economics have they have to make the economics work somehow
0: yeah caroline what's new from uh, the uk this week
1: so mine's all about the product actually (laughs) so like you bob i haven't had any um sort of major um it's been a really quiet week but but, uh, but some interesting product stuff so um like you i wrote about um uh lexus nexus new market standards um offering which is pretty cool i spoke to and, and i interviewed daniel lewis um who's formerly formerly he founded Ravel or Ravel um, um and he's now working on this um so similar sort of concept to the way that what they've done with litigation in terms of the analytics and being able to sort of um, strip it down and work out, um, you know, what what sort of um, what you know, what, who, what deals have been done by what and, and really sort of like doing a deep dive. So they're using public data, which is from um, SEC filings. And then they're doing, um, they're enriching it. So in the way that they do in the litigation space with Pacer, where they, they've got the human element working alongside the machine learning. So they're they're making sure that it's accurate and they're building it up. And then, um, and lawyers can compare transactions, the termination fees, triggers, carve outs, um, and and what's interesting. So straight to Daniel today um on on camera that'll be out next week and um i said do you think this because obviously within the litigation space the, the stuff that they're doing with lex machina is now being used by clients potentially in, in um panel reviews and and um just as you're in the selection process of how they're going to instruct lawyers which is interesting and i said do you do you think that this um this tool that they've now launched market standards which is which is going to be be, be built up beyond m a that this is the first installment do you think that will have that will be the same to think and he and he's i mean he's, I suppose he's going to say this but said that yeah he thinks that they're already clients suggesting that they're going to be using it in the same way um for, you know so that there's there'll be this competitive advantage which i thought was quite interesting
0: yeah i think the other thing that's really interesting about that product is that it's it's part of what lexus nexus calls its practical guidance product which yes. is a lot like Thomson reuters practical law product uh and both of those are products that started out uh, as you know, sort of guides and checklists and forms and uh, sort of tools to help a legal professional, mostly help lawyers, in the most for the most part, uh, you know, sort of practically know how to handle a particular kind of matter. If you're a you know, young lawyer in a firm who's never done an M and A or something, it kind of walks you through. And, th- and this is kind of the first product I've seen that kind of overtly acknowledges that that just those sort of forms and and documents isn't enough, the data needs to be part of that practical knowledge. And it's the first product I've seen that really kind of incorporates data into that equation of a practical Uh, guidance product so it'd be really interesting to see how that develops I
1: don't know what you think Bob so so what I said what I asked Daniel is so it it seems that there's a big overlap so if you're if you're um, an associate and you're drafting a contract right so you this is not the product you're going to be using to do your actual drafting right so so there's a and there seems to be quite a big overlap and I think they're going to try and make it so it's almost like two sides of the coins but I, I, I mean I suppose i i th- I wonder if there's a risk of almost having to, you know too many things going on because you're going to be having one part of Nexus where you're going to be drafting and, and pulling in all of your different is that right am i am i am I overthinking it do you think
0: uh well no, I don't think you're overthinking it I know I think that's a fair point but I, I think it it does tie into the the drafting of it because you're can oh. be using you'll be using the practical guidance product to be helping you yeah. find uh, uh, uh templated language or, or, or recommended language. And, and this lets you go in and actually go beyond what's in the product into yeah. the actual, uh, you know, SEC database uh, yeah. and and search uh, on a much more granular level for uh, relevant language. I mean, I thought, I, I don't know if they told, they probably told you the same story, but I mean, the, the story they, they were telling me about it, uh, which is, which is also, what's also cool here is that the product manager for this uh, product is, Lindsay Brindgardner, whose husband John Brindgartner used to work at uh, law.com and used to be my, my editor uh, many years ago when I did a, when I was part of their legal blog network. He kind of ran their legal blog network, so there 's a little little well, familiarity cool. there, but um, she told a story about how she was talking to a lawyer a lawyer was in a negotiation with another lawyer, and the, the other lawyer said, "I would never agree to language exactly. like that, yeah. and she was able to go back and actually find an instance in which that lawyer had agreed to language just like that by going into this product. I mean that's pretty
4: cool. Yeah.
1: And and so annoying. Like so like
4: piss
5: off. <laughs> so bleep. <Yeah. laughs> but just yeah. when I mean, my husband does that to me. <laughs> yeah. No like, and yeah. now there's proof. Now
0: there's proof. Like, just read back. the F and contract. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Well, yeah like I like that. you know there's a tweet for everything like everything everything that comes yeah. out there's a tweet yeah. from four or five years ago that contradicts it so yeah right. exactly. this is not
1: all <laughs> yeah. evidence in in <laughs> at your fingertips yeah um
3: yeah good
0: uh yeah all right well um what else uh victor you had a couple uh think what's 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 happening in your world this week
3: oh yeah so I mean there were I guess I'll just talk about the first one um the, uh, there was this uh, uh, story published, I guess you yeah, see a couple days ago, where uh, they talked about how Google was giving out data from uh, surf, based on search keywords. And the, the case that um, that precipitated that was, um, I guess, one of R. Kelly's associates allegedly allegedly set like you know committed you know committed arson against a um, uh, a, a one of the complainants against him. And, you know this is obviously all in court right now and so you know but um you know so so it was interesting from that for that from that perspective just you know just just how they were able to kind of you know they used um you know google provided information about like very specific searches like you know um you know where does where does this person live uh know, they looked at like you know you know like 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 what ip address is like search for this person's address um and there were like various other like you know, keywords that they were looking at, and so I mean, obviously, you know, this isn't the first time that they've that they provided data for, for 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 criminal cases and whatnot. But you know, it just once again kind of shows that like, you know, you know, you're like like you're never really anonymous, like especially when you're when you're when you're using a utility like Google, where you know they track everything and everything you know being can 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 be traced and whatnot, and especially on a high-profile case like this, you know, involving involving a pretty you know. Yeah, you evolving. Know, you know, like tangentially involved to a pretty high profile case and a high profile matter.
0: Yeah, it's pretty scary to think that Google is. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how was this a subpoena or did Google just kind of willingly turn this over to investigators?
3: No, I, no, I think no, they. Have, uh, there was a search warrant that was issued. Oh, okay. Um, and so, I mean, I think I think they're they're you know they've long they've long maintained that their policy is to comply with with uh, with lawful with lawful warrants. And, you know, and and obviously, this is a case where, you know, you could argue that, that, you know, it's the facts are such that it's hard to kind of justify not complying with it, like, well, why wouldn't you comply with something like that, you know, but so, so, you know, facts, fact, you know, what was it, you know, bad, bad facts make bad law, good facts make good law. So sometimes very often just based on like what, you know, what what the reasoning is for, you know, on a given warrant. And and in this case, you know, I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to argue against uh, you know against something like that, but I mean you know you could see how, how this could easily be extrapolated into something where you know maybe maybe the information you know you know would, would not be as forthcoming or, or it would be better off not being so open
0: yeah the serious invasion of privacy in some cases yeah uh, Joe, what, what about you this week?
4: I mean the only thing kind of tech technology adjacent that hit me, and it's not really a legal tech thing, but I we can extrapolate it a little bit, um, was speaking of Google, uh, the Google Oracle uh, arguments that the Supreme Court got an opportunity here reminded us yet again that the Supreme Court has absolutely zero concept of how to talk about technology. They have no facility for it, no understanding of it. Uh, the Questions seemed out of left field. Uh, nobody seemed to get what was happening and why uh, these sorts of programs, how they work, or why they should be protected or not. Uh, is so it was it was one of those more terrifying times where again we have put aside the problems with the Supreme Court generally, but we have very serious technological questions that are now reaching this court and it seems as though no one has the ability to deal with it. Uh, Honestly, the best thing that I took away from it was Breyer seemed to stumble into an an analogy (laughs) of how this all worked that like made some degree of sense. The lawyers were like, actually, that's not bad. Uh, And that was the first time in the whole hearing that anyone seemed to speak any sense. Uh, But that was my takeaway was that we have, Judges who continue to be tech illiterate. And that's a problem.
5: Why, why aren't I, I just, and this is my ignorance with, with, uh, with the Supreme court. I I kind of was always under the impression that the clerks were supposed to be doing some of this um, work, um, helping the justices understand the context and the framework. Uh, So is that just not happening? Is that I'm just, I'm, I'm dumbfounded that there aren't briefings on, on this from the clerks to the justices.
4: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm sure there are. Uh, I don't want to cast aspersions on the great clerks of this country uh, because there are several great ones. But I think, you know, um, how do I put this delicately? We We are <laughs> seeing, at least with some justices, a bottom of the barrel scraping to find people who agree with them politically uh, and not necessarily the sharpest tools in the law school shed. Uh, And, you know, that's going to be a problem. Uh, And it's also hard. I mean, I think all of us uh, at at this point, well, maybe maybe not all of us. I think many of us have had the moment, horrifying moment when a eight-year-old explains how something technological works that we don't understand. And, uh, and, it, and it's hard for us to grasp. Uh, these clerks, even if they're doing their job, are showing Breyer how something happens. And he's going, eh. Um, yeah. Although, again, I shouldn't call him out. He seemed to be the only one who had a vague clue of what was happening. So uh, Alito, we'll throw him in there. But whoever it is, just doesn't, even if it's being explained competently, there's no guarantee they're getting it.
1: It's true, isn't it? I mean, so I can, I can, I can see that it, it, whatever, whatever explanation they were given. It's a really interesting point. I haven't, I hadn't really thought about this, to be honest with you, because there's going to be a period of time, isn't there, when there's this is going to happen when, as you say, these sort of big, sort of crunchy tech cases are going to be coming before people that really have no experience, and and even with expert evidence, you know, probably find it really difficult to get to grips with. And how did they decide? I mean, it's it's crazy, isn't it?
4: Yeah. I mean, you know, know that's
1: true
0: at all level levels of review. courts in yeah. all kinds of cases, right? I mean, that's true of, you know, you get a, a, a complicated M&A case that goes before that, a judge who knows nothing. I think that, the tech, nothing, is, I think but, that yeah.
1: tech is quite specific. So, so well, no, I, think that, I think the M&A, like, so you know it might be have lots of parties or it might have you know lots of but actually you can get your what you know you can get your boards and you can show your share company and for and actually i think most judges who have been you know they've obviously all been to law school and they do business and they understand i think that you could get there's a lot most stuff with with some time and explanation you could get to grips with but tech seems to be one of those things even with like lots of explanation like you you were saying joe it's like that generational thing where where their brains just go and and i've been guilty of that myself at times
3: yeah and also I mean I I don't I don't know I mean you know different different justices use their clerks in different manners but like you know and, and and not having ever sat in on a Supreme Court hearing you know I don't know if they're like passing questions up to the justices and like you know giving them input into what to ask and what to say and what to you know you know what, you know what to what to question the the advocates on so in my, you know, my my feeling is that usually they're they're, they're sort of like Doing research, writing, drafting opinions—you know, maybe they summarize some of the cert, some of the cert memos for 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 justices in some cases. So yeah, it, it could just be just like just like the just like the function of like how you know how the court is that these clerks are not you know are not as active in that one specific instance where you know you you have the live oral arguments going back and forth and whatnot. But I mean, that being said, I mean it does also raise a lot of issues as to like uh, I mean. I think it was, a just, was it just was a Justice Souter who like refused to ever use a computer? He always used used he used this typewriter up until the day he was he retired. Uh, and you know, I mean, there are other justices who who have been known to like, you know, like yeah, like 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 you know, they would they would write out write everything out by hand, or they would do this and do that. And you know, a few years ago, they had a I think that there was an oral argument about about video games and like, you know, one of the originalists on the court was trying to figure out like how this squares with, you know. An originalist interpretation of the Constitution. It's just like, well, video games—you know, there are there—you know, you can obviously use it. You know, you can you can uh, cover it, you know, with, with 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 you know with with original intent the way you cover all kinds of emerging technology, or you know, you could treat it as something unprecedented. So it's just, it's it's it is an interesting. It's interesting that that you know these very important issues are being, you know, decided, being interpreted by people who, yeah, might not have the best best understanding of technology. So, yeah, I don't, I don't really know what the, hopefully, you know, having to rely on technology more these last couple of months, you know, maybe that'll jog some, you know, jog some, um, you know, greater understanding going forward. I mean, I mean, we can hope, but, you know. Yeah.
1: Hor- Horace Wu Horace says, isn't it the lawyer's job to explain the tech better to the judges? Yeah, I guess it is. I guess it
4: is. Yeah. Part of it, yeah. it is it it is, but but there's also some level of a a need for a lingua franca actually, mm. frankly, a that that's actually in a lot of ways what this case is even about. Is it's about the kind of code that takes the coding that somebody else has done and makes it something that something else understands. That that bridge gapping. Uh and lawyers can come up with as many good explanations as possible, but I mean different different ideas are going to resonate with different people. And there's some level of expertise you need to have even to understand the analogy in the first place. Um, right. There was uh, in this instance uh, where the thing that finally resonated was Breyer saying, isn't this kind of like somebody patenting the QWERTY keyboard like saying, Oh no, you, no one else can have the keys oriented that way. Like at a certain point, there's just a way it has to happen. And that was the first thing that seemed to, dislodge in people's brains that uh that this made yeah
0: Yeah. i did i did argue it in an above the law column i just posted the link to a couple a year ago that maybe there should be a duty of technology competence for judges just like there is for lawyers uh many states have codes of judicial conduct but that's not part of any any code of judicial conduct that i'm aware of
4: yeah or the or the federal circuit be the final word on certain of these cases you know yeah uh, those folks know what they're doing Right. Well, Dan Dan O'Day
1: yeah. says even if you have a great understanding of tech, the law is unclear. Better to pass a clear law on the topic.
3: Yeah, but yeah. then, con- but then you, have, you know you have the same problem with Congress. Like some of these people don't understand. You know, they they don't, they don't even know like what what's the difference between different like Twitter and Facebook. You know they're asking yeah. Mark Zuckerberg questions about tweets, and it's like you can't even do your basic homework as to who's, right. who's CEO of what. Then yeah,
0: right, we are uh, just about out of time here, and uh, I want to. Uh, uh, bring it to a close. Any any last words of wisdom or, or final thoughts before we wrap up here?
3: Well, Joe gets the last word, right? <laughs> that,
4: that was once. That was once. I don't. I I, I did my one. Uh, other people get last word now.
0: All right, well, we will uh, we will uh, leave it at that. That was the that was that, and then uh, I
4: did. See, then you did. <laughs> then
0: you did. Yep, you did. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, th- thanks everybody for, uh, attending and listening and we will be back next Friday at three o'clock Eastern noon Pacific, whatever time it is, wherever you are, uh, with another episode of the show. So look for it, uh, look for it then. Thanks to everybody for thanks, participating. Guys. Thank you. Bye hey,
5: guys.
1: Have a good weekend.
3: Thanks. thanks. Have a good weekend.